Hello, and thank you for listening to In Mahabba Center's podcast. We thank you a lot for your support and for listening. If you'd like to um, offer some comments or feedback, of course, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Feel free to DM us. I'm Lydia Youssef. I'm one of the founders and directors of In Mahabba Center. Um, and just to slightly introduce myself, <laughs> I have a master's in Middle Eastern studies, so that's where this podcast is going. Um, and today I wanted to talk about, um, in our sixth episode, about fear and fragility, um, particularly within white communities in the United States. Um, and w- what does fear have to do with fragility um, when discussing um, white communities in the United States? And I really want to start with the story that's been circulating in the news, Botham John's trial. Um, well, not his trial, but... <laughs> the trial over his murder. Um, If you haven't heard, um, what happened was that this black man was in his apartment and he was sitting eating ice cream and this white cop, white female cop, comes in, um, opens up a door that is not hers, looks around the apartment, sees that it's not hers, sees a black man eating ice cream and shoots him. And her framework for uh, a defense is that she believed that he was in her apartment. Um, Which is really, if you think about it, insane (laughs) on multiple levels. Um, That first, you just open the door um, without the key. Then you look, you see it's not your apartment. And then you, you see him eating ice cream and somehow someone eating ice cream... Uh, is someone worth shooting in her eyes and of course she was sentenced to only 10 years um in prison for the murder of Botham um John um and this story is really central for how I want to frame this talk because it's very indicative of how um colonizers talk about people of color right, um, how they talk about property and the defense of property, right, even if it wasn't hers, she's gonna take it, (laughs) um, even if there was no sign of aggression, she's going to shoot, even if there were a hundred symbols to, you know, that stood out to her, that this is not yours, um, she decided to take it, and it ended with all these pictures of her, crying and being remorseful um for herself pitying herself and this is um it's just a very hard story to talk about because um I was actually (laughs) here's a little guilty pleasure moment but I was actually listening to The Real which is like this uh, syndicated show and it's meant for women of color and I just find it really interesting their whole politics because they're very centrist conservative um and so I just watch them from time to time just to see what people are saying (laughs) that are not you know fascists but are not liberals um so they were talking about this and they were saying oh it's really important that people know that this is not a white and black issue And that really startled me, and so I kind of tuned in a little more, and I was like, okay, I want to hear this argument about how it's not a white and black issue, um, because I've never heard of, never, never heard of the opposite ever happening to a white person. Um, 
And it was just fascinating to me that they were saying that, of course, they didn't back up their claim, but <laughs> they were saying that um, this could happen to anyone and this is an issue, uh, you know, that we need to take care of in this country and making it a gun issue. And I am very pro <laughs> regulating guns in this country. I am not anti gun personally, an anti gun person, but it was just very fascinating to me that the line went as a gun issue and not a race issue. Um, even though we know the majority of people who shoot up schools, the majority of people who shoot innocent people, the majority of people um, who lose their nerves and then claim fear are not black people, <laughs> are not brown people, they're white people. And when I say white people, I mean white men and women. Um, so not just a male issue here, as um, the Botham John trial shows us. But all of this has deep roots. Um, which I want to get into. Um, it's not just a violent issue, right? That's like looking at it at, at surface level, saying we should love one another, we should take care of one another. Yeah, <laughs> um, we should regulate guns. That's very surface, surface level. Um, the other things that I, you know, obviously I advocate for, but going at a deeper level, what creates the mentality for someone to take another person's life in such a situation you know to see someone eating ice cream and to shoot them it's deep-rooted in other words so this brings me to albert meme um albert meme was a, a jew in the middle east um who studied in i think the sorbonne in france um and he's a very famous um philosopher um about colonizers so he has a very uh famous book called uh the colonized and the colonizer um and it's it's really a fundamental book in um my opinion for anyone who's doing social justice advocacy or any type of what is colonialism what is imperialism really like that's to me the forefront i mean it has its issues of course everything has its issues um that can be discussed, but I think it really is um, him and Franz Fanon really the forefront of that dialogue. Albert Meme spends a lot of time in his book, um, The Colonized and the Colonizer, discussing um, racism because he 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 doesn't just say racism, right? Like he really digests that. Like, what does it mean to be racist? What does it mean? really mean to look at someone and believe that they're inferior to you right like what is in other words what is so wrong with you as a human being so as to think that your life is worth more than someone else right because that takes a huge mental capacity if you think about it um it takes a huge mental capacity on amber's um the cop that white cop that white female cop who shot both of them to really think that his life is less um, and it's not just her mental capacity, but it's it's a generational. And so he has a really um, famous idea that racism, um, when it's full blown in a society, um, begins inventing when need arises. That's his wording. Inventing when need arises. And how, what does this have to do with fear? Um, and to me, this is like the essence of racism. It's that fear. Um, so that fear becomes an invented thing. 
y'all know um actually we were just at the cultural festival um and mahabba center was and you know how many questions i literally <laughs> this is crazy um people would stop and be like what's the political situation in egypt and i'm like political like if i said what's the political situation in the united states i'd be like yeah couple months ago there were forest fires in california we have a dictator fascist as president also pence is involved in it now and like the republicans don't want to impeach and also there's a lot of like oil spills and just it's it's yeah (laughs) we have the mayor of new york running and we have kamala harris who thinks she can win and joe biden is just saying ish on the side so like what is the political and they don't know how to impeach him like uh, what is the political situation and then i can go to the micro level and say oh there are people who cannot pay their college debt like i don't know this is such a large question that we don't even say in the u.s because We know when we talk about the United States that there are so many layers to what a political atmosphere looks like. You have the local, the national, um, the international, right, invading countries and um, dropping drones on Afghanistan. So I don't know. It was um, very interesting to me. And what what's more than interesting is that these questions of security came in the form of um, can I travel there? which I think is extremely, extremely insensitive um, to say that the safety of a country is not important for those living in the country. It's important for me, the traveler. Um, And this is a very uh, prevalent line within white societies to say this, you know, like, oh, I can't travel to Nigeria because it's dangerous. Um, They manufacture a fear. And then you say why is Nigeria dangerous, right? Um, And this whole line of manufactured fear (laughs) um, serves their own purposes politically, right? On the national level, right? Why is Africa a dangerous place? Why do you fear Africa? But at the same time, you find a lot of white people going to Africa on missionary activities, and they come out fine. They say, Africa as if it's, you know, one country, but Africa is full of disease, it's full of crime, it's full of gangs, um, and you can't find somewhere to pee, I don't know, and at the end of the day, you find a lot of white people there, right, um, which was happening during, um, I don't want to say during the colonial era as though it had an ending, but during the colonial era, you had all these white people come back to Europe and say, oh, it's such a dangerous place, and then they go back, right, um, so that that fear, um, if you, to be honest, if you're actually afraid of something, you're not going to do it, right? And that to me, I was talking to a friend, I was like, that's the main difference between a white person and a brown black person. If I'm afraid to go somewhere, like, <laughs> I'm not going to go, fam. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to risk my life to go somewhere. But white people will manufacture that fear and say, oh, this country, this region, this place, this ghetto is really scary and then what do they do they go and they gentrify it what do they do they go and do missionary activity so that their fear does not correlate to their action right so then you have to wonder if you're so afraid why does your action not correlate with it it doesn't make sense (laughs) and that's because that fear as albert meme puts was invented when need arises right so that when you go to africa and you come back right that country of africa you seem like a savior dang you went through all of that to be in africa when you cross the ghetto and you come back in the united states dang you went through all of that you survived 
that fear is manufactured to create a savior complex. It goes right into it. And that savior complex goes into that racist mentality of inferiorizing other people in order to make yourself the better person. So that it invents when need arises. And this is why you find a lot of white-based fear is insane. (laughs) You know, um, if you have white friends or if you live in a white area and you listen to white people talk about things um you almost feel like they're insane right um like they're talking about egypt as a whole country as being dangerous and you're like okay why is it dangerous and they're like you know revolutions are happening and you're like the revolution ended um (laughs) and also it's not dangerous for you to travel to egypt right i even was speaking um it's just really fascinating to me like this mentality of fear i was speaking to someone and um so i'm coptic and so when i go to egypt i have to take certain precautions there that doesn't make me afraid um to say the least it just makes me know that there are certain precautions as a coptic woman who has u.s citizenship who is going um into many coptic spaces in egypt that i need to just be cautious right that these are highly militarized spaces and that I just, I need to be cautious of my surroundings, um, of what I say, how I speak Arabic, to whom I speak Arabic, that type of, just I'm very self-aware, as I am in the United States. So I'm very used to that type of hyper-awareness. Um, so I was speaking to this white girl who had also visited Egypt, we were back in the United States, and she was saying to me um, that while she was in Egypt, <laughs> she was sitting, uh, you know, for Ahwa. Um, and for those of you, an ahwa is like like a cafe, but it's a very masculine environment. So it's like like something I would not feel comfortable. I would not feel comfortable being there, simply because one, I'm Coptic, and two, I'm a woman and I look Egyptian. So the rates of men um, coming and speaking to me and being um, plaguing <laughs> are very high. Whereas uh, her, as a white woman. Um, noticeably on her on her figure is obviously that she's white and that she perhaps has European or US citizenship. So the reality of men coming up and annoying her and plaguing her is really low, right? Um, but she doesn't notice that. In her story, she seems like this OG, right? She made it in Egypt and she was sitting and eating, you know, drinking coffee, sorry, <laughs> and drinking shisha in front of these men. Um, but in my story, she looks, you know, how much privilege she has in that story, because even though she's playing on fear, right, she's believing that her audience have fear of Egypt, she's playing on that to make herself seem, um, like she knows what she's doing, (laughs) when that's not what's at play, her privilege is at play. So, fear becomes a defense not only of the superiority of white people of superior sorry superiorizing themselves they are not obviously superior but the superiorizing right the act of making themselves superior that becomes a defense for that but um that becomes the action of superiorizing but it also becomes a defense of the system right so we always find that the u.s government invents fears um the famous one is the invasion of afghanistan and iraq without any evidence of quote-unquote weapons of mass destruction um and now we see all these protests in iraq um because of the dissolved state the breakdown of a state that could not be um 
since World War One, but really because of the U.S. invasion in 2003 and the breakdown, complete breakdown of the state, um, all because of white fear, all because of the invention, the invention of destruction, right? And we see the same thing happening with Donald Trump in Iran, this invention of Iran being a fearful place. And this is why I tell people, always check yourself. When you say things like, oh, the US and Iran have beef because Iran is a bad place, why? Like, that's such a simple statement to say. You wouldn't say that about two people. You wouldn't say Mina and Clara have uh, disagreements because Clara is a bad person. Sorry, I said Clara <laughs> in Arabic and like Clara in English, but y'all get what I mean. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say um, Mina. Why can I not think of another male name? Mina and Irini have beef. Therefore, Mina is a bad person. Like, you wouldn't say that about another to humans, right? Um, you would analyze that situation, hence we have gossip. <laughs> but we do this to, like, peoples, right? We say Iranians uh, need to, you know, what is what do people say about the government? Like, they need to hold the government accountable of those actions when you're not even analyzing the situation clearly. So we see that fear not only functions on the individual level as a superiorizing effect but it also functions on a governmental level and this is really important because white people often say that there's a difference right that the system and society are different sometimes the system is evil but the society wants to change it i don't believe in that at all <laughs> i believe that in order to have an evil system that not only works but is held up you need an evil society. You know what I mean? Um, sorry to be simplistic. <laughs> what I was just saying, don't be simplistic. But you know what I mean? Um, that those two things work hand in hand. You can't have a society that is working against the system and the system is lasting. Right? Um, you may have a good fraction of the society that is against the system. But still, for a system to last, that means that the majority of the society that created it upheld it and maintain it are okay with it um and this is where fear comes into play because it really is not just a social thing that you can see right just like i said ask your friend about where they want to visit why um especially traveling is really <laughs> one of those key issues but even like um, I've always noticed when describing to people where my dad's store is, because it's in Melwood, which is this African ghetto, a lot of white people don't know where that is. They've never visited that space. Um, and so that type of fear that lives, oh, I would never go there, right? Even though, mind you, Melwood is right beside the airport. So white people have been in that area. 110% have been in that area. But they have never visited the ghetto, right? They take the highways. So fear is not only a social factor in white lives, but also a systematic um, feature. And another example of this is lynching and the police that we found in 20th century United States, 19th and 20th century. United States, of course. Well, anyways, so lynching is the execution of particularly black men, but also black women, um, by hanging them on trees, uh, by social, just non, um, 
I don't want to, well, yeah, non-legal matters, right? So it's outside of the courts, outside of police, outside of social um, interaction, right? So you have just a few handful of civilians taking into their own hands, um, white civilians taking into their own hands uh, the death and the murder and the execution of a single black person. So this shows us another social factor of how white fear becomes an invention. A lot of the black people who were murdered through lynching, there was no trial, no public trial, no real indictment of any of their crimes. But this brings us to a bigger issue too of the systematic nature of white fear, right? I spoke a little bit about like the wars that white people will wage based on their fear, but we also need to talk about domestically um, what white people will invent, um, as Albert Meme says, what they invent when the need arises. And that is uh, order, right? Um, and this is really important because a lot of people, um, they assume that organization and order are the same thing, and they're not. Um, organization is a team of people working together for an outcome. Order is not like that. Order is very dictatorial. It's a single person or a single entity or a single society dictating downwards, right? So it's a pyramid structure coming down. So organization is like an organism, right? So you have multiple parts, multiple bodies working together. Order is not like that. And order comes from fear. And we find this a lot in US politics. The idea that, ooh, there is fear, right? So there needs to be order. Iran is out of control. It needs to be invaded. Iraq is out of control. It needs to be invaded. And somehow that invasion, somehow in white mentality, becomes order, right? In the US example, um, during the slave era, we know that the breakdown of white fear became order and that order found itself in police formation so a lot of people who talk about the police talk about it as though it's necessary as though um police have been here forever and in every society that's not true um you can read a lot about it (laughs) and know that that's not true but one thing that is important police formation in the United States came on the authority of order, on the idea that there needs to be order, order for what? White fear. And those two things go hand in hand, the social fear, the governmental order of things, which becomes very, very violent. And so police now have become the ultimate manifestation of that fear, right? Because fear can't stay as as it is right it, it cannot merely exist when you're afraid you have to take some sort of action even if it's contradictory but even on the governmental scale even if it's contradictory there must be an action and a lot of that action comes with that order so let's talk more about that So 
briefly, <laughs> the history of policing in the United States is that you would have uh, police little patrols um, during the plantation era. So um, you would have these little patrols on each plantation, surveil the life of slaves, and execute punishment according to their will or according to the landowner's will right so it's really important that we see already during the slave era that the police are between um the patrol forces are between three um beings and entities the land that needs to be sold that is bringing um profit but cannot bring profit without the slaves the second um being and then the master and we'll see that <laughs> this becomes that trinity that the police function as. So when slavery was abolished in the mid, mid to late 19th century, we then get um, the creation of the KKK, but also the police as a very institutionalized force of the state. So not just of the owner, of the plantation owner, right, but of the state. Um, and of course, the KKK was banned. <laughs> um, banned, I put in quotation marks. <laughs> um, because it went against that state order um, of executing and having its own power. Of course, when I say banned, um, they were told kind of a slap on the hand of saying, Mm, please don't lynch black people because that's our job. Um, and of course, the KKK continued to do that for hundreds of years, right? Um, till the present era, even though it was technically slapped on the hand and told not to. And the police being tied to the state, um, the state being the new master um, with people of color and the land, i.e. profit, um, remained as that trinity and as that go-to between all three. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say go-to because they did nothing for people of color. But the police's story is a very important one because as many people of color know who are listening to this, um, the police aren't just uh, middlemen. They create terror, right? Um, I don't want to say terrorism, but... I feel like y'all know where I'm going with that. Um, they create terrorism in and terror. Let's just keep it at terror. Um, they create terror in communities of color, right? So they patrol the ghetto. If you go to a, any ghetto, the number of uh, police cop cars is insane. Um, even when I was in Chicago for a brief while, I was just astounded by how many cops there were like I would see five or five to ten depending on what I was doing that day but five to ten um even like walking a mile I would see like five um so the over policing of ghettos right and we know that <laughs> you can google this um that over policing does not bring safety to communities um, and that's because over-policing is not supposed to function as safety for uh, citizens or civilians or humans, whatever you want to say. Um, it's to provide order. It's to provide control for the state. So it's not about safety. It's about order. And order tends to go directly against safety, by the way. <laughs> um, right? Because in the name of order, we have to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and it's... 
it's really crazy when you go into places like uh, Melwood and you see all these, and most of the people, I won't say most, but a lot of people in Melwood uh, don't even have cars, either because they can't afford it, they don't have driver's license, Um, so to see, like, very few cars are out, right, most people are walking, (laughs) Um, and to see just all these cop cars surveilling the area and say, you know, um, not even on watch for speeders or people who are violating said laws, they are um, specifically looking out for people just walking to a store, right? Or, um, seeing what the stores are doing or the salons, um, what are they doing in there? Um, it's, it's clear surveillance. Um, and it's that manifestation of the white fear, right? That you need to control the slaves in order to control the profit. This brings us to a really important point that not all fear is an invention, right? Not all, um, yeah, well, not all fear is invention. <laughs> uh, I, I was trying to say it in a different way, but I don't think I can. Um, because people of color, when you speak to them, um, have real fear. Um, when you speak, especially it's very terrifying when I'm a Sunday school teacher, when I was a Sunday school teacher, and I would uh, speak to our Antioch children um, about their schools, about the, the places they go into, and they they can they can feel it right they can feel that sense of um there isn't safety here there's over policing in Antioch and Melwood but there isn't safety here um so people of color have real fear they have real fear of walking into a Walmart and there's a shooting from a white supremacist um or the Waffle House shooting that happened in Antioch or <laughs> the shooting that happened at the movie theater, um, also in Antioch, right? There's a palpable fear. There's a fear that their stores will be shut down um, for unnecessary reasons, right? The state is always clamping down on small businesses. There's a fear um, that their parents are going um, to get a ticket or their parents um, are going to be pulled over and it won't go well. There is constant fear in the lives of people of color because of the police, because of the state. Um, and that's not an invention. That is the real, the reality of racism. So that an invention, what started off as an invention for white people, that idea that there are regions that are unsafe, that there are cultures that are unsafe, and we need to provide order that imagination, that line, that trajectory becomes a horrifying reality for people of color. So that your your rhetoric, white people's rhetoric, and actions, contradictory actions, and their sense of order and safety becomes a nightmare for generations, regions, cultures of peoples. So, I want to conclude by saying that I didn't want to argue that fear is unreal, that it's imaginary. Um, It's not. (laughs) Um, And that people of color live in it. So, the solutions being, to me, always, is watch what you say, watch what you do, watch what you participate in. 
So it could go as big as watch how you vote and for what things. Watch how you process news. When someone says to you this country so-and-so, North Korea and all these missiles, consider, consider, (laughs) think about it. A country with millions of people not doing well, who are in severe dictatorship, what do they have next to the United States, right? So when the United States media posts these ideas about dangerous places, China, North Korea, Egypt, Nigeria, when a missionary group goes out and says, I'm going to Kenya, which is very dangerous, but I'm going to make it, which is insane because it's not any more dangerous than New York. (laughs) Consider. That's all I ask. (laughs) When white people make up things, analyze it. Say, why do you say that? If you're in front of someone who's claiming something. Why do you say the political situation in Egypt as though it's very different from here in the United States? Egypt is also suffering climate change. Egypt is also suffering from um, dictators. It is also protesting. It is also suffering from a a country that is probably heading towards recession. It's very similar to the United States. Not that much different. So why do you make it seem that it's very different? Why is there fear? Why are you afraid? Analyze that fear. And for people of color, um, not only just asking white people why are they afraid, but also really coming to terms with that fear. That your fear is legitimate. That someone who's sitting in his own apartment on an afternoon after work, eating ice cream, because it's probably hot out, because it's Texas. That that man was shot dead. He was a gospel singer, shot dead because of some white woman's fear that he was in her apartment, an apartment that didn't look like hers, an apartment where the key didn't fit. That your fear is legitimate. That though that fear is legitimate, it should not make us buy into the order that white people uh, push on us. Instead, we need to do the opposite. We need to organize and we need to bond and not be separate from one another. And hopefully, Mahabba Center will have uh, more to come on that on the ground for Nashvilleans. Thank you for listening to our podcast today on fear and fragility um, centered on the Botham John trial. Um, Stay tuned for more to come in two weeks. If you'd like to see this podcast being done every month, uh, let us know. Uh, We like feedback or less than twice a month. Um, Any feedback works. Thanks.